Welcome to the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast, Been There, Done That. To get free mentoring services, as well as to see the wide variety of resources available for small businesses, visit our website at www.score.org or call 1-800-634-0245. And now, here's your host, Dennis Zink. Episode number 23, Employee Engagement and Turnover. Fred Dunnier joins me today in our studio as co-host, SCORE mentor, and our audio engineer. Good morning, Fred. Good morning, Dennis. Our guest today is Linda Lucarelli. Welcome to Been There, Done That, Linda. Thank you, Dennis. It's nice to be here this morning. Linda is a native of Central Florida. She received a Master's of Science in Personnel Psychology from Florida Tech in Melbourne, Florida. Linda joined Paychex in 2000 and provides HR consultation for small and medium-sized clients. Her role is to provide guidance and compliance information regarding handbook policies, training and development on HR laws for managers and employees, job descriptions, comp surveys, and employee relations. Linda, how do you define employee engagement? Employee engagement is an important part of an organization function. And what it basically means is having your employees engage in just being able to satisfy the customer and be behind the scenes to make sure that your product or your service is the best that it can be out for your client base. And how do you recognize that you have engaged employees? Well, there's a variety of ways that you can tell. Um, One is obviously if your employees are coming to work and doing their job, that's probably number one. I think the reality in when I meet with clients, a lot of it is their first requirement is to come to the company and be able to engage and do their job first. After that, part of that engagement is being part of that organization as a whole by providing feedback, providing recommendations, suggestions, ideas on processes or procedures, just having them as a part of the organization as a whole in making and looking at how the product or the business service services their customers or clients. And what might some of the positive results be in having engaged employees with your company? Well, one of the things that we're talking about is certainly, hopefully, low turnover. When your employees are engaged into the organization, and we see a lot of this a lot of times with employee surveys, is they want to have a part of what they're doing every day. And if they do feel like they're a part of the organization, part of the mission, part of what the company believes in and what they're doing for their clients um, or customers, they are going to be more engaged and therefore be ultimately happier in their job and reducing turnover. Obviously, customer service is a huge part of that, is making sure that your employees who interact face-to-face with your customers is to make sure that they feel happy and that they represent what your organization is all about when they service those clients. What does uh, turnover cost a company in dollars? Well, it could be a a variety of figures. A lot of it depends on certainly the position. Uh, You know, a a highly compensated position might require, you know, more of a research. Maybe a headhunter is involved. A lot more resources that you may have to look if it's a hard-to-fill type of position. In general, when you're looking at turnover, there's what we call direct and indirect cost. That direct cost is actually the advertising or any amount of money you may have to put out to really select an applicant. 
or to make sure that you have an applicant pool for that position, a good qualified applicant pool. Advertising, obviously, any time that uh, the person leaves the organization, you have to fill that job. That work and productivity, you may save on salary because they're not there and you're, you know, uh, budgeting for that. But the reality is that productivity is going to be lost. So that definitely is a direct uh, cost for the company. So in addition to dollar costs, there are plenty of non-financial or indirect costs uh, involved with turnover, and uh, I imagine in, in a large company that could be quite substantial. Yes, it sure can, especially in certain industries. You have a lot of industries that might be restaurants or telemarketing, and you have a very, very high turnover. And we do have quite a few of those clients, and it's very interesting to kind of help our clients and and reaching out and trying to select. And the best rule of thumb is hire the most qualified candidate. And sometimes that's difficult to do based on your applicant pool. The indirect cost is all that lost time and also your coworkers or the employees that have to be part of that new hires um, onboarding as far as training or any resources that might be taken away from the regular productivity of an employee is going to be actually lost because you're helping that new employee come on board. What kind of uh, tools can a company use to get the right person? I mean, uh, I've seen the uh, DISC, those tests and other kinds of tests and Briggs-Myers and um, what what do you recommend as far as the uh, getting the best selection of employees for your company? It's a great question. I think selection sometimes um, is really the hardest thing to do as a manager. When you address a discipline or termination or that, you usually go by performance and you're handling that. But when you think about selection, you're meeting a stranger for the first time. You may spend not enough time with that person and vet them to your organization. So I think some things to consider when you're a hiring manager is a little bit of the big picture. I think sometimes we miss such as corporate culture or those things about the company that the employee needs to be a part of. If you're a fast-paced company or a little bit of chaos or, you know, a, a a company that seems to be very fast and decision making in that you need a personality and somebody who could certainly qualify for the job, but also meet uh, the requirements for what it is like to fit into that job and fit into that corporate culture. And I think sometimes as managers, we just make sure that they could do the job instead of really spending some time with them and also maybe get other people involved. If they are going to be working in a particular team, maybe have some of those team members, as long as they feel comfortable with asking the correct questions, be involved in that interview process. Uh, maybe that selection process, that applicant can actually come in and mentor a little bit or just kind of job oversight, like a job uh, realistic preview we call, which basically means that you're kind of getting a general good feel for what that job is and really job shadow a little bit. I think that's kind of a great indicator to get an idea if that particular person is the right fit for your organization, both skill and being able to fit into the organization as a whole. Typically, how much time should a company allow um, for to make the decision whether this is the right person that we hired or, you know, maybe is it 60 or 90 or 120 days where they say, uh, this isn't really going to work. We made a mistake and we're sorry, but we got to part ways. What, what, how would you respond to that? 
Um, in the state of Florida and many other states, you do generally have a 90-day introductory period. And what that basically allows you to do is from both sides, both the employee as a new employee and the organization, is to assess if that employee is really going to meet the needs of your organization, both skill level and making sure that they can fit into uh, the rules and policies and stuff like that. So it's really important for those managers to spend some quality time with that new employee and really onboard them or do the orientation. I would suggest that you have some kind of a check sheet or something that you can identify progression of that employee in their job as far as training, um, understanding policies and procedures, making sure that they understand, you know, the product, the client base, those kind of things. So it is important for that first 90 days, especially because it does tie into uh, unemployment claims. Uh, generally, if you do as a company uh, let somebody go, or if it does not work out during that first 90 days, then you would not be entitled to the unemployment claim that that is possibly going to be filed. Well, employment's a two-way street. So, you know, the employer could dismiss the employee or the employee might say, you know, this isn't right for me. But uh, what are some of the reasons that an employee might leave their c- company? Dennis, that's a great question. And there's a variety of different reasons why, obviously, an employee might leave. And I think generally we probably think, oh, it's more money automatically. And that's not always the case. So it is important to make sure you feel comfortable as an organization with your compensation planning. Um, I think market analysis, getting an idea of what the compensation salaries are for those different positions in your organization, your benefit packages, a variety of different fringe benefits is important for the organization as a whole for growth and for retention. But it is also important to make sure that you are, as a manager, um, involved in your employees. And that's where that employee engagement is, you know, goes in together. If you see that an employee who is very much engaged is backing off, not involved in meetings, maybe doesn't give a lot of feedback anymore, maybe becomes negative, those might be signs that that employee is not happy. And part of the reason why people leave an organization is just really they, again, we had mentioned at the beginning of the of the podcast, is they're not engaged anymore. They may not feel like they're valued, um, that they're respected in the workplace. Um, they may feel like there's a lack of growth or opportunity. So it is important as an organization to always be thinking about how to grow the skill level of your employees, provide them opportunity, uh, let them be creative if you're allowed to do that. A variety of different things besides compensation uh, certainly could be a reason. Maybe somebody is very uncomfortable with their manager. They're not comfortable with the way the person uh, communicates with them. Um, so communication skills for managers are vital to make sure you feel like you are having a one-on-one dialogue and it's not just you do this or you do that. So employees are much more engaged in their work environment and that tends to uh, prepare employees to be happier. What should you discuss in uh, in the way of an exit interview? It's a good question. Generally, a lot of exit interviews are like templates. Basically, they're going to ask just general questions. What do you like about the organization? What you didn't like? 
But what it can also do is help you identify maybe red flags. Is there a trend of, if you ask questions about what did your manager do that you liked? What did your manager do that you did not like? Did you have an opportunity to have an open door conversation or open door policy with your manager? Or were they open to that? Do you feel like any complaints or concerns were addressed and how were they addressed? So a lot of times managers will address issues with employees, but basically it's a it's a conversation like, well, we can't do that because it's just been, you know, the way it is for the last 20 years, rather than really kind of thinking about the question that might be asked and re- finding out if there is another way of doing something or a more productive way. So just a a variety of different questions about really what was your opportunity level? Do you feel like you were paid fairly for the job you did? That's a great question because it may give you some feedback as a company. If you get a lot of, you know, trends that are saying I wasn't paid well for the job and you get turnover for that, that might be a a time for you to look at your compensation and make sure that you feel comfortable uh, with the decisions for your for your compensation and also how you manage your employees. So those are two big factors in an exit interview that should be able to come out. Does an employee handbook help in uh, either clarifying policies so that um, an employee knows where they stand, what, what the rules are, Um, Does that help at all with employee engagement and minimizing turnover? Yeah, I think it is a good resource and a good tool. A lot of it, obviously, we have the EEO or the legal side for you as a company to provide certain policies that you're required as an employer to communicate to your employees all the way from, you know, non-discrimination laws to maybe family medical leave and these kind of legal pieces. So besides the legal part, it is really just a, you know, it's a rule book. It's kind of the do's and the don'ts of the organization. And what it does is just kind of ground you on, you know, how we want to treat our employees and what we think is important. Sometimes I'll look at handbooks and I see that it's always what you don't get. So we always try to emphasize this is the you know, these are the benefits, this is the rule and the policy about what you can do, but also rules or policies um, and guidelines about um, limitations on what you could do. Obviously, important information about laws and what maybe the repercussions might be if there is a violation of a company policy. Um, especially now with social media, uh, a lot of people are on social media now, uh, very vocal about certain things and part of their life, both work and personal. So it is important to make sure that companies have good, strong policies to monitor and make sure sure that they are, um, you know, providing the proper policies for the organization. That's why it's important to update and look at that every year or two to make sure that, you know, because things do change in an organization and you want to make sure that policies are up to date for what's going on in the current organization and, and current, current culture of the company. Linda, what are, what are some of the uh, benefits that you've seen that are maybe most beneficial to uh reinforce employee engagement and minimize turnover? I think the best thing is, like I said, is really getting them involved. And part of that is really kind of an 
along with our training for this particular subject, is about corporate culture. What does your culture of your organization say about your company? Are you a learning organization where it's important for all your employees to learn new skills, to do WebExes, to be able to have an opportunity to be engaged and be a part of the organization as a whole? Um, most organizations do have what we call mission or a vision statement. It basically outlines the really the, the meaning of the organization. What is the organization for? What do we believe in? What are our values? And it is important for your employees to be a part of that mission. The problem comes about sometimes is when the mission or those values are not executed or communicated to the employees. Or maybe it's a startup company and you have not created that mission yet. Or maybe the organization has gone through downsizing or some economic turn and therefore there's some you know concern and there's layoffs and people don't have motivation in that. It is important for our owners and managers of an organization to come together and be the cheerleader of the company and to say this is what, you know, we might have some tough times, but this is what we're going to do. We're lean, mean, ready to go in the future, and this is what our message, and we want you to be a part of that message. What do you see in the way of specific benefits like vacation time, um, sick days, comp time, and other benefits like that? What do companies typically do that works well in those areas? We're seeing so many changes, obviously, with healthcare reform and what's required and compliance on that arena. Um, we are seeing a lot more, and what's interesting with HR laws now is most of us probably see that there's not a whole lot of things specifically coming out of Congress. So what's happening in the HR field and with employment laws is a lot of it is becoming state-driven, meaning the state may have and their legislative team may have certain policies or certain rules in place or different types of laws that may impact employers. And that could result in like mandatory sick time, mandatory, uh, which we're seeing across the country, a lot of ordinances, a lot of counties are saying, hey, if you're an employer in this particular city or county, you're required to do up to three or five days. It's usually what they say is about five days or 40 hours of sick time. Um, so that's coming down a lot of times. So sometimes these things are forced upon employers. Florida is not one of those heavy-handed legislative um, states. So a lot of it is up to the organization as a whole to decide that. The other trend is a lot of PTO time, pay time off versus kind of traditional vacation bank, sick bank, you know, uh, personal days. So a lot of times people or organizations will combine all those numbers and give you, you know, two to three weeks, which allows you to basically to take the time off that you need for you and your family. And it's not necessarily you know, dissected what the reason is. It's it's just PTO. There's still an approval process and those kind of things. But in general, it's more just one bucket that you pull from rather than uh, three or, or two separate buckets. So we see a lot of trends on PTO policies. Linda, you mentioned a little while ago social media, and I, I have a, a follow-up question on that. Back in the day when I was working in a, a large corporation, we had some uh, public relations and media training. Uh, but that was when there was only a few channels that would uh, be expressed. Now everybody has a Facebook page or everybody can have a LinkedIn page. How do you encourage 
what you might call evangelism for a company and its products, while at the same time discouraging um, things that you wouldn't want published about the company. Honestly, there are not a lot of particular laws that are coming out of the legislation piece on social media. This is kind of a new phenomenon in the last four or five years of what companies are dealing with. Social media is really twofold. One, what can the employer do to use social media as an advantage of the organization. Obviously, we have a lot of companies that have websites or they may have a Facebook page or uh, Twitter or things like that if you follow a product or something like that. So it's great, great advertising. It's a great medium for organizations. But the other side of it is how do we refrain or make sure employees might not be using social media to have detriment to the organization. There's not a whole lot of clear-cut laws. A lot of this stuff is actually going through more the court system. And if somebody is maybe terminated for using social media, the question is, is it a violation of certain uh, rights that you have as an employee? And really, they're guided by what we call the National Labor Relations Act, which is the governing body that regulates really what they call concerted activity, meaning you have certain activities in the workforce that an employee is allowed to engage in. So as long, and that's why a coherent, very clear policy on what you can and cannot do as an employee uh, to communicate the boundaries basically in social media as far as obviously if the you know client list or any proprietary information or any financials get out to competitors uh, those are some things that obviously you can as an employer protect yourself with but there's also things that employees are allowed to do and say you know even if it's off hours that you know they have a right to do without you retaliating or terminating them so it really is very important to have good clear-cut policies and for your management team and HR team to understand those boundaries and what you can and cannot um, do to uh, to regulate that in your workplace. So I suppose what you're saying then is to at least number one think about it because I very I doubt that a whole lot of employee manuals at this point have a social media section in them, and that people really do need to update their manual to to stay on top of of these kinds of changes. Absolutely. That is the key. And I'll be honest with you, Paychex just really created the social media policy a few years ago. So it's in all of our handbooks for our clients. It's something we certainly look at. It is new, technically new in the last four or five, six years. So it is something that we monitor, that we communicate to our employees. We have a variety of training that we do for our companies and organizations, which is great to kind of walk them through what all the social media rules are and stuff. So the first line of defense is that policy is to protect your business overall. Well, with full disclosure, I have to admit that uh, I've been a, a not only a customer of Paychex in the past, but that you worked with me and uh, yes. we've had conversations and that's how we've known each other. Um, and you do a great job with your um, handbook. On the employee benefits, I still have another question. Wouldn't competition play a major factor in benefits uh, that are given by a company? For example, if I know my competitor is giving three weeks after you know two years or whatever in uh, vacation time, then that's something I've got to consider if I'm going after the same pool of, of uh, potential employees, isn't it? Absolutely. So besides, quote, compensation as far as your actual salary that you could do market analysis is, 
there are surveys. Sometimes they, you know, have to be purchased in that. But there are, or maybe your associations, if you're involved in any of that, though they might be able to provide you resources on what's kind of the standard. In general, I see, and part of this too is about what we call a work-life policy in your in your organization is we know everybody is very busy. We know that technology has changed the workplace tremendously in the last, you know, uh, several years, people working from home a lot more. So it is important to make sure that you integrate uh, how we work nowadays with technology and with your goals for the organization and so forth to making sure you have a good compensation package, both obviously direct compensation with your employees and the salary that they receive and benefits, but also the fringe benefits of the work-life programs. So generally we see um, up to two weeks, up to five years, five years, you get generally three weeks of vacation. Again, it might plus holiday. Obviously, most organizations do have a certain amount of holidays that they may, you know, um, put out there six, seven, eight, depending on, you know, their organization throughout the year. Uh, so that's kind of the standard. It's still kind of that two weeks after maybe six months or a year. But the question is, are you more flexible about letting them take that time off? Yeah, obviously, the uh, our topic today is employee engagement and turnover, and uh, but unfortunately, sometimes the things don't work out. So uh, we discussed the exit interview briefly, but what are some of the best ways to terminate an employee? How much time should you spend with them? What should you go over? What shouldn't you go over? Um, some do's and don'ts. Okay, great question. And the first thing we tell employers is that it should not be a surprise. So if your employee is surprised that you are making a decision to terminate their employment, that's not a good sign. And the reason we say that is because employees should have a proper form of discipline process or discussion before that decision is made. So basically, if there is a job performance or some kind of policy violation or whatever is happening with the employee, it is critical especially with our litigious society, is that we need to make sure that as managers and organizations that we have a good training process for our managers on how to handle difficult employees or employees who are not performing at standard and start a documentation and a dialogue and written documentation for you as the employer to show that this is a performance-related issue or this is because the employee is not doing their job or following the rules or coming to work or whatever the specifics are. So in making that decision to terminate, hopefully you have a good dialogue and maybe in the last six months, year, three months, whatever's happening with that employee, that there has been what we call progressive discipline, a variety of documentation, starting verbal, written, maybe a final written warning to communicate that the employee may be in jeopardy of losing their job and it's documented so it's not a surprise. Why should a company track turnover costs and are there any guidelines for what's bad and what's good? Generally, right now, actually, the last numbers that came out in 2013 was it was about a 3% turnover, um, which is probably not that high. And now, depending on industry, you're going to see sometimes they're 10% or 12 or 15%. So that's probably pretty high. Um, and you kind of have to assess that based on your industry and what's going on. There's just going to be some industries that have high turnover, telemarketing, you know, restaurants, retail, those that tend to have a little bit higher 
turnover. So what you're wanting to do is really kind of combine that direct and indirect cost to get an idea. Generally, they estimate turnover costs can range basically you know, one or two times the salary of the employee that's leaving. So it could run into a good 20, a lot of people don't realize it could be $25,000 before you actually get somebody up and running. But again, by the time the productivity of the person who's leaving, um, hopefully, you know, you may have to pay out vacation time or any kind of benefits. Obviously, the process of recruiting or any kind of advertising, and most of the advertising nowadays is really uh, very cost effective. I know a big piece for small businesses is Craigslist. It's very interesting how that website has become a job seeker and job generator. It's very, very interesting because it's free. And a lot of people go on Craigslist to look at, at especially locally, you know, um, uh, types of businesses. So that's a cost effective way for organizations to use uh, their service to be able to grow their applicant pool. We know that a lot of employees now are working from home. You mentioned corporate culture. How do you promote a corporate culture when so many of your employees may not be on site? It's a great question. And I think it is important to make sure that you have some good policies when it comes to how you engage your employees in that reality. Um, Technology is going to be a big piece of it. Again, just things like we're doing as far as Skyping or making sure maybe once a year that you do have maybe an off-site meeting or have those people that might be, you know, uh, off-site from the organization or maybe live in another state or something is to be a part of that day-to-day feeling that they are part of the team. So part of it is just making sure they're connected either to their team, um, to a mentor, Uh, to their manager, uh, having one-on-ones, maybe, you know, every couple of weeks, making sure if there's any kind of meeting of the team that they're included, even if it's via, you know, Skype or a conference call, making sure that they're in the know, because that's the big piece is sometimes they feel very isolated, and it is up to that organization to make sure that they are distributing that information, and just email after email is not going to do it. It's not going to get them motivated and happy. I mean, uh, part of that job happiness and job satisfaction, again, it's a good question maybe if you did employee surveys or got an idea of how, you know, because some employees just really do like the interaction of a community of a workplace. Maybe working from home is not a good match for them. So a lot of that is a discussion because we're seeing more and more companies go remote is you want to make sure that you feel comfortable with those people and what the job is and what the expectation is and the responsibility. Lynn, is there anything else that our listeners should know about this topic? Um, Maybe one or two things that they can take with them? I think the important thing again is, and we always tie this to corporate culture, is what does your company mean? And do you communicate that from the beginning of an employee's inception into your company. And it really starts the first time they go into your organization. It starts the first time they might look at your website. It starts the first time that they maybe interview for a job or uh, hire um, or put a resume in for your job. Is it a smooth uh, transition? Does it seem like it's chaotic? Or are there pieces that are missing uh, that are disorganized? Is it a, you know, a situation where an employee is or an applicant who comes in the front door is welcomed? Does your mission and your value and your company 
culture represent your organization? And do you have um, really that, that environment that wants to hire the best and wants to get the best out of your employees? And how do you communicate from the onset? And again, the consist- consistency of providing that throughout the employee life cycle all the way until the end of their, you know, uh, history with your organization. So the best thing to do, I think, is to to incorporate your culture, do the best you can to develop what your company means, and make sure that your employees are a part of that message. Well, Linda, thank you. That was great. And thanks for being our guest today on Been There, Done That. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. Thanks, Linda. You've been listening to the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast, Been There, Done That. The opinions of the hosts and guests are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of SCORE. If you would like to hear more podcasts, get a free mentor, view a transcript of this podcast, or would like more information about the services we provide, you can call SCORE at 800-634-0245 or visit our website at www.score.org. Again, that's 800-634-0245 or visit the website at www.score.org.